Welcome to the Be Brave podcast, where ordinary, badass, brave women speak their stories of courage and strength. We hope that by hearing the struggles and successes of women just like you, it will help you be brave. Please note that the Be Brave podcast does cover adult topics that include overcoming adversity in areas of sexual abuse, addiction, depression, and other difficult experiences. Today, we are very excited. Our next guest that we're introducing is Dr. Rebecca Heiss. She is dedicated to helping us overcome our evolutionary limitations, the ancient fears that hold us back, fears that we're often not even consciously aware we have. Her research has been designated transformative by the National Science Foundation and its waking up audiences around the world. Rebecca confronts these fears daily in her own work and applies her research to solve the practical problems of overcoming the unconscious behaviors that haunt modern life. She is no stranger to these fears. When Rebecca was just eight years old, her house burned to the ground one week before Christmas. And at age 11, Rebecca began to struggle with anorexia. She is now the founder and CEO of the Self-Awareness 360 Leadership Review app called iQuity. That's I-C-U-E-I-T-Y, which helps every individual reach his or her full potential. She's also the author of the acclaimed new book, Instinct, Rewire Your Brain with Science-Backed Solutions to Increase Productivity and Achieve Success. She has been honored to speak internationally on her work, including multiple TED Talks, and has found her calling in helping others recognize the power of unconscious biological limitations in their lives. She is a full-time speaker and facilitator of her Fearless Accelerator Program, which leads high-achieving women through stress, fear of failure, and imposter syndrome to a place of confident and authentic leadership. In March of 2022, Rebecca launched Year of Happy, an experience that delivers programming and physical subscription boxes with challenges and community to move otherwise successful people from a state of languish, languishing in meh to finally finding happy. Rebecca lives in South Carolina with her husband and spoiled rotten dogs named Guinness and Murphy. Every day she tries to live her life motto, spread happy. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Rebecca Heiss. Woohoo! Thanks for for that incredibly long and detailed introduction. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, It's I'm excited to be here with you guys today, Rebecca. We're so excited to be with you and to have you on our podcast. And I just want to read you a quote that we read to all of our guests here. One day you will tell your story of how you've overcome what you're going through now, and it will become part of someone else's survival guide. So thank you for sharing your survival guide with our listeners today. Super, super excited to have you here and can't wait to hear how an eight-year-old overcomes their house being burnt to the ground a week before Christmas and then dealing with anorexia at such a young age. Like, please start sharing with us, you know, who were you before that eight-year-old, you know, experienced that and just share your story with us, Rebecca. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thank you for reading that quote. I, I so appreciate that quote. You know, write a good story. Write a story that you want to read as a as a life. I, I think that's a, an important one because it is it is helpful for for one another. So, who am I? Well, as an eight year old, I don't think I've changed that much. Actually, I I was probably the reason that I didn't have kids for a long time because I was that bouncy, like super energetic, going a million miles a minute. And uh, I think I'm still that. I think I'm still that bean. I was always really animated and and excitable and nothing really changed until that 11 year old experience, which I'll I'll talk about, but I came, I came back from that. So, so eight years old. Yeah. I'll tell you the, the house burning down story. Uh, The funny thing when, when people talk about my house burning down, they, they talk about it like you all did, which is, oh my gosh, that, that must've been an awful, like tragic. And I'm like, is the best experience of my life. It truly was what? the best experience. I know I'm, I'm 
this is, I know this is, this is supposed to be the moment where I'm telling you that this is like the big tragedy that I overcame. But the reality was, it truly was one of the most important experiences I've ever had. So it is. Did you feel that way at eight? I really did. And that's amazing. Well, (laughs) I don't give me too much credit. I appreciate that. But it's, um, well, I'll tell the story and you can, you can understand why. So we were, you know, it's a week before Christmas. So my family is gathered. My cousins are with me. My aunt and uncle is with me. We're making gingerbread houses and eating quesadillas and hot wings. Very important part of the story. And my uncle's like, anybody else smell that? It smells like, I'm like, ah, oh, it's a gingerbread, it's a gingerbread, you know, and we're eating along. And, and finally my, my dad steps outside and looks up and the entire top half of the, of the house is gone. It's already like completely engulfed. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're just in there eating And we're dinner. just chilling eating quesadillas wow. and hot wings, right? So my dad, of course, at this moment is terrified. And he's like, all right, everybody out, everybody out, you know, screaming and yelling. Now this is upstate New York, dead of winter, right? So it is cold and we're not grabbing anything. We're just, we're getting out of that house. And so I run out, I'm in like slippers. The only thing I bring out of the house is my quesadilla and my hot wings. <laughs> so I'm sitting outside in this freezing cold, you know, upstate New York, just like munching on my quesadilla, a couple bites of hot wings, watching the spectacle of this incredible fire. And it was like, if you, if you can remove yourself from it, which I think somehow I did a little bit, it was beautiful, right? It was really, really beautiful. So uh, the only moment of terror, right, was we had we had bunnies that were attached to a hutch behind that. Don't worry, folks. Everything's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> but I know I have to give that little disclaimer. They were attached, right? And I, and I suddenly remember, oh, oh, no, the bunnies. And my dad, bless his heart, was like, oh, don't worry. I set, I set them free. Now he was lying through his teeth, right? This house goes down. I mean, to the foundation. Wow. We, you know, finally are allowed to go back. <laughs> My dad goes back first, obviously, because he wants to make sure everything is mm, okay for us. The bunnies are fine. They're, they're totally fine. So then he's into this like predicament, right? What do I do? What do, what do I say? <laughs> he's like, oh, oh, they love you so much. They came back. Right? Yes. <laughs> So there's, there's a lot of great stories around, around the house burning, but the reality was that night. So this was, you know, a week before Christmas, five o'clock at night or so. And that evening I had a house over my head because our neighbors took us in the next morning I had school and I had nothing but the clothes on my back, but a neighbor brought by clothes for me to wear. I had food in my belly, a roof over my head, clothing to go to school, a free education. And suddenly I realized the power of community and the power of safety and, and family. And it was this incredibly overwhelming moment for me, even as, as an eight-year-old to realize, oh my goodness, this is the power of, of humanity, of kindness, of love, of, of finding one another and helping one another, because there wasn't a day that I didn't have everything that I needed. And that to me is, you know, tremendously lucky. Rebecca, I have to just say, though, how unusual for an eight year old. I'm assuming all of your Christmas gifts were burnt. Yeah. So this is the this is the wild thing. Right. And my parents were very cognizant of this. And, you know, the next I don't know, a couple of days felt like I'm going to say a couple of days later. Right. We went out. And one of the things that I loved was my keyboard. I had this like little electric keyboard that I played on with my sister all the time. And so they wanted to replace that. Right. They wanted to just give me some normalcy back. And so they went out to the store and we found this keyboard and they were, you know, taking it to the cash register. And I started weeping. I started just like, I I wouldn't let them buy it. And it took me, you know, into my thirties to figure out what was going on. But I think it was a worthiness thing. It was that I already had so much and I really felt it at that time. Like I really had so much that I didn't feel like I deserved more. And, you know, we spend so much time doing these upward comparisons and looking around and going, oh, well, I want that. And I want this. And look, I'm guilty as the next person of that. Right. I'm looking like, I want that yacht. Ooh, I want that new computer. You know, I want this. But so frequently we forget how much we have. And it's moments like that when you when you look around, you're like, wow, I have so much that. Yeah, it still kind of tears me up, tears me up to this day. My my folks, I will never forget my mom sitting around on Christmas, trying to do like the insurance paperwork and trying to assess, well, how much was that painting that your great grandmother did worth? You know, well, like dimes, you know, it's worth the, the canvas and the 
oil that she used to paint it with, but it's priceless. Mm-hmm. You know, it's priceless. Before we before we started this show, you commented on my my photographs back here. And that's the thing that truly, if we had an opportunity to save something, it would have been these. Yeah. Right. Because that's like you don't think about, oh, I'd save my computer, I'd save my phone. No, no, no. You can replace those, right? You save family, pets, and memories. And just for our listeners who don't know what Rebecca's talking about, she is sitting in a room where there's a wall full of pictures of her favorite memories of family. I'm assuming that's what it is of Rebecca. (laughs) It's it's a closet. I appreciate you saying that it's a room, but she's being very generous. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's my boys. It's uh, my husband. It's my, my pets, my family. It is literally all the things that, that make me happy uh, in the world. And I just kind of plastered here on my, on my wall to remind me of that. I I just, that is awesome. But I'm still like, I got chills when you were telling that story and I'm still completely impressed that an eight-year-old would think like that. I I just feel like you are one specially wired human being for an eight-year-old a week before Christmas to not be caring about herself and to have that selflessness about her is very rare at a young age. Or am I wrong about that? Is that something you see commonly in, in young people? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I appreciate that. I don't think I'm necessarily special. And I actually think that's what got me into trouble um, is that kind of thinking because I had, I think low self-worth, you know, <laughs> it's one, it's one thing to, to look around it and appreciate all that you have. And I think, I think, you know, most people do that really, we really do. It's another thing to then not believe that you deserve all that you have and there's a fine line there. Right. And I, I didn't feel like I deserved all that I had. Mm. Gotcha. And so, and honestly, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> maybe society, you know, maybe just recognizing as I was coming into womanhood, even at a young age, because I was kind of growing up fast there in that moment, seeing like, oh, wow, this is real life. This is, this is scary times. You know, I could have, I could have lost somebody there. I think, you know, looking around and, and then seeing what's expected. And for women in particular, selflessness is the expectation. Yeah. There's no higher compliment to a woman than to say, oh, you're so selfless. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually stinging. I think that well, selfless, then who am I? Right. And we lose ourselves in these cycles of, oh, well, I'm selfless. I give to my kids. I give to my husband. I give to, well, what do you give to you? I love that. I love that. Yeah. And so you, that's what you were feeling when your parents wanted to replace your keyboard. You were yeah. really feeling not worthy. Yeah. It, and right. I got it. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's, it's a strange thing. Like I still, I still wonder what, what was going on in that little eight-year-old's head that she didn't feel like she deserved all these things because she'd gotten so lucky, right? I felt so lucky that I had everything that I had that I was like, maybe I shouldn't replace it, right? Like maybe everything's impermanent. I was having these like existential moments, like everything's impermanent. Everything disappears. Everything goes away. What's, what's real? <laughs> you know, maybe I'm giving my eight-year-old a little too much credit there, but but I did. I, I felt, um, I think that's when I really came online. And I think a lot of people around age eight come online and come become kind of their conscious selves and wake up and say, oh, oh, there's some expectations of me here. You know, I was also a preacher's kid. So that little fact may have, may have just, you know, worked its way in there. So there were some, some pretty major expectations of this is how we behave. This is how we act. This is how, you know, what you should do. This is how you should feel about things and possessions. And, you know, and so that I'm sure was a part of it. But yeah, it kind of it kind of led me into this space where I didn't feel like I was enough. I couldn't do enough good. I couldn't be as perfect as I needed to be. And so that that started to cause some some pretty big eating issues by by age 11. I will never forget stepping on a scale. Now, I'm, you guys can't see me, uh, obviously, on the podcast, but I am not a small woman. Uh, I stand close to six foot. And as a 12 year old, you know, I wasn't six foot, but I was I was on, on the trajectory, we'll say <laughs> I was a pretty tall kid and I weighed 60 pounds. I mean, I was a stick and my goal weight just kept dropping and dropping and dropping. And the troubling thing there was I knew in my head that I wasn't allowed to care about how I looked. Right. You can't you got to be the cool girl. You can't care. You can't, that's, you shouldn't care. That's, that's sinful. That's selfish. Oh my, I'm not selfish. I'm, I'm selfless. And so I knew I couldn't care. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to let anybody know that I was struggling with this. 
But I also knew that society expected me to look a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way, present a certain way. And so I was desperate to take any weight off that I could, which, you know, I, I would weigh myself multiple times a day. You know, it's a, it's a classic anorexic story, but it got to the point where I, despite the fact, and this is, I think the interesting piece is that despite the fact that I was a really logical kid, right? I was into science even back then. I was a really logical kid. So I knew that water, zero calories, right? It's not, this doesn't add any weight, but if I drank water and I stepped on the scale, I gained weight. And so I stopped drinking water. Oh, wow. That's a problem. Right? That yeah. is a problem. Well, that's, a, that's a big problem, right? Did anybody, now anorexia is starving yourself. Bulimia is when you throw up after you eat. Did anybody catch on to what you're doing or did you hide it really well? Or I think, you know, my parents were aware and they kept trying to encourage me to eat. And, you know, I'm 11 years old, I'm being picky. And uh, you know, there's all these yeah. excuses and signs and, and things that I think people try and get around. And, you know, they were concerned about, you know, well, maybe the fire is affecting her. Maybe you know, I just lost my grandmother. Maybe that's it. And, you know, not to say that those weren't big things in life, but no, it wasn't that it was, it was this image that I knew I had to become. I had to be perfect. I had to people please. And I couldn't tell anybody that I, it's this, this paradox, right? This absolute catch 22. I have to be this thing, but nobody can know that I feel like I have to be this thing. Mm. So yeah, I mean, they, they took me to psychologists and doctors and eventually uh, I landed in the hospital because I, I just wouldn't eat. And, or drink um, water. That'll land you in the hospital fast. And the, the saddest thing I think about all of that is like at 11, I was lying to my parents. I mean, lying because this was so important to me. You know, I, oh yeah, I mean, I, I'm not anorexic. I don't think I'm fat. Of course I did. I 100% did. But if I admitted that, then I was this person that I didn't want to be. Mm. I cared too much. Oof. It was the. Uh, it's almost like an addiction. It's almost like how an addiction would be. Is that right, Rebecca? Yeah, it's very much the same. Yeah, very similar uh, hormonally, at least. Uh, what's going on? Those dopamine hits. You know, I'd step on that scale, and if I lost 0.1 pound, woo, it was a good day. It was a good day, and we're gonna keep doing it. Wow. Yeah, and so scary, right? Because I mean because of a million things, but I'm 11. Yeah. I'm 11 yeah. ladies. We have to do better. I mean, this is, this is to me, one of the biggest societal sadnesses is you look around and you're like social media aside, even it's like, you're too skinny, eat a hamburger. You're too fat. Get on a treadmill. There's never, there's never a satisfactory weight or size or shape or, and it's the epitome of unhappiness, you know, this pit of despair to keep trying to reach some level of perfection that doesn't exist out there. You know, this size and shape goal that we all have for ourselves, I feel like this, we've all grown up with this pressure at wherever it came from. It could be in your family. It could be your friends. It could be what we watch on TV or in the movies or whatever, but it's ingrained in us because I find myself just walking down the street. I'd see somebody who might be, I think is too skinny or too big. And I will have a, a judgment will come to my head. Now I'm not saying anything, but a judgment comes into my mind and I'm like, and then I correct myself. I'm like, who the hell are you, Kara? Why are you, where did that come from? It just happens. And it's, it's amazing to me. I have friends who are in family members who are of all shapes and sizes, and I love them. But the fact that I could immediately come up with some sort of judgment about somebody just by the way they look is it, it's, it's scary, but at least I don't, it's not coming out of, it's not flying out of my mouth, you know? Right. But what you said there is so powerful. I think it's, it's, I, I love them. They have, they're all the safe shapes and sizes. I don't love them any less because they're X or they're Y. And yet for, for people in my position, at least for back in the time when I was really struggling with anorexia, it was, oh, I don't deserve love unless I'm, I'm unworthy of love. And, you know, stepping back and again, being logical, which is something humans are terrible at. We can look around and say, oh, I don't love that person any less because they're X, Y, or Z. They're just Kara. They're just, you know, they're, they're just this person that I enjoy and love and, and see for, for themselves. But in that state, we were so damaging to ourselves. We talk to ourselves in horrible voices that we would never talk to a friend or family member, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's that judgment we have for ourselves. 
that same judgment that we judge others with, right? So if we're judging ourselves as not being the right size or shape, and we have that pressure on ourselves, we're putting that same pressure on others, even though we know it's not rational to do it. Yeah. And, and we'll, and I think that's the powerful thing you're saying, Rebecca, is you started to really harshly judge yourself and your self-worth was how you looked. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and really, I mean, I, again, I don't wish it on anybody, but it's a, it's a great thing to have gone through because I realized I got very lucky. I mean, I, I was days away from being tube fed. Wow. I was in the hospital and, uh, and my sister came in, my sister came in and she sat down on the side of my bed and she started crying. And it was the first time. And she, she made some excuse, like she had a stomach ache or something, but I, I remember very distinctly something clicked in my head and I was like, Oh, Oh, I'm hurting other people with this. Wow. Like, this isn't just my struggle. This is my family's struggle. This is my friend. This is my community struggle. Oh, this is women's struggle. And when I started drawing that circle broader than myself, it was my first step towards healing. It's literally what it's you're doing powerful. with this podcast, right? It's, oh, oh, I don't just own this. I'm putting this weight on the backs of others. And I have, I, I have the ability to lift that weight a little. Um, and that was my, my first step actually into, into recovery. That's amazing. Wow. That's amazing. So is your sister is older or younger than you? Three years older. Three years older. Yeah. Three years older. Uh, did you see any kind of struggle like that in her? Did she, could she relate? No, go ahead and tell me your comment that you were going to say. Oh, I was just gonna say, I, I wanted to be her. I mean, my sister is this beautiful blonde hair, blue eyes. I'm brunette folks. Um, which is lovely. It's lovely. It's the best. It's great. Blonde hair, blue eyes, six foot spelt. Just, I was like, that's, I need to be that. I need to become her. And I always looked like, like our bodies to this day, hilariously are identical. I mean, just, you can't, we're identical, but I couldn't see it. Wow. Right. It's it's, just can never see it. Wow. I'm just glad that you were able to get help before it was too late, because from what I understand, it really messes with your organs and they could start to break down. Right. Yeah. That was my, my liver was shutting down. Like it was, it was not, it was not a good kidneys were obviously if you're not drinking water. Yeah. Not, not doing so hot. Yeah. I was, I was, like I said, I was very lucky again. I talk a lot about counterfacts, you know, these, these stories that we create about things that didn't happen, but could have. And we do this in present time all the time. Like, well, this thing, this bad thing happened to me. Why is it bad? Are you sure it's bad? Mm. How, how much worse could it have been like the house burning down? Well, no, actually it was great. Right. We create a different story that supports a different narrative. And suddenly this isn't such a bad thing. And for me, you know, I, I think about how much worse this, this could have been. And, and I will say, and I say this kind of jokingly, so hopefully the your listeners will take this in the, with the right humor, but I am still a savant on calories. Like you can ask me any product and I can tell you how many grams of fat and how many calories there are in it. <laughs> I mean, it's a nice party trick, I guess. Some things never go away as far as that is concerned. Yep. But you will eat it in spite of the calories and fat. And that's, that's really the spread happy piece is... You know, you read at the end of my bio, my my goal in life is to spread happy. And I think, you know, free for me has become something that's that's happy now is I can I can enjoy cheese. I distinctly remember at 12 years old thinking I'll never eat another piece of cheesecake again in my life. And I was saddened by this fact, but it was just my I was that was my reality. Oh, my gosh. Do I love cheesecake, y'all? I <laughs> if you want to send me a cheesecake, I will eat it on camera happily. <laughs> Higher thing because because life is life is short like life is short and precious and if we're not looking at each of these happy moments and and indulging in them and savoring them whether that's food or family or the warmth of a fire hopefully not your own house burning down <laughs> it's um yeah that's that's those moments are all we get so so how long were you in the hospital Rebecca couple weeks couple weeks okay and then. Patty and I like to reference all of the judgment and negativity that we tell ourselves is the itty bitty shitty committee. Oh yeah. Yeah. How did you get them? And I'm sure, and I don't think they ever truly shut up, but how did you start getting them to go into the background and have healthier thoughts coming into the foreground? 
It's a great question. I still have the itty bitty. I mean, everybody has the itty bitty shitty committee, yeah. but I still have the itty bitty shitty committee anorexic, anorexic thoughts. And every time I think about, I think about my sister, actually, you know, I think about, I think about the people that I love and how much I love them. And that this is, I have, I have an opportunity to enjoy life, to make it an adventure, as Patty's heard me say before, or to make it an ordeal. And I am creating the reality independent of whether or not I'm going to enjoy this chocolate or whether or not I'm going to punish myself for this chocolate. So why don't I just enjoy the chocolate? It's a, it's a, it's a constant battle to say, okay, thank you. I hear you right? Acknowledging them. I, I'm a very big fan of name it to tame it, right? So I'm naming it and saying, hey, thanks. I hear you. Thank you. Itty shitty bitty whatever committee. <laughs> um, like, got you. You're loud and clear. Any other contenders out there that want to, <laughs> right? Listening for other other opportunities, looking for those counterfacts and any other voices that want to come through here. And one always comes through that says, man, that looks delicious. Yeah, I think, you know, so much of so much of our uh, our internal dialogue, we don't listen to. We just go with the first or the loudest voice. Mm. And there's a lot of voices in there. So if you're patient and you just whew, take a breath and say, anybody else want to come up there? You'd be amazed at some of the voices that pop up in your head. I like that. You know, and the whole the whole thing is about just pausing and trying not to react to that first you know, voice that comes up, just like me pausing and not saying what I, my judgment, but just realizing that I have a judgment that doesn't make any sense that who the hell am I to be judging? So it's the same thing, whether you're doing it to somebody else or you're doing it to yourself, just that pause is so important. Yeah. And I think you're, you're spot on there, Kara. And, and so frequently we don't get to pause because our voice comes up in our own head and we forget but just because we don't voice it, we still heard it. And the the separation of saying, wait a second, my voice that I hear is not me. That's to me, one of the biggest gifts that I've ever learned is that those voices aren't me. I'm the observer of those voices, which means I get to choose which one I like. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I like it. Rebecca, just go back, go back to, you know, the scariness of being in the hospital and your sister crying on your bed. Yeah. What was your, the rest of your family's reaction? If they had one, if you're comfortable talking about yeah, it and how did that affect you in your recovery? And then, you know, it sounds like your sister crying really kind of snapped you into a different kind of m mental state where you were able to start your recovery. I'm sure. I'm not sure. Um, but it sounds like it would be a struggle to spend two weeks in the hospital, come out and get your life back. Yeah. So I, again, I'll say I'm very, very lucky. I have an incredibly supportive family. I, my mom struggled with, with an eating disorder as well. And I know, well, I don't know. I'll make the assumption. I'm pretty sure as a stepmom myself, I, we carry a lot of guilt for this. And I, I think that she was really struggling with her own guilt at the time, feeling like she put me in this position. Right. So, you know, she was incredible in there every day visiting, visiting hours, right. I'm, I'm 11 years old, but I'm in a adult mental hospital. Like picture that full, full stop. I am in with, with 18 and plus, you know, kids that are suicidal, kids that have drug and alcohol problems. And I am like the most <laughs> naive kid. I had no idea what I was getting into. And so it was, uh, it was really scary for me. I remember being really, really scared. Yeah. Just terrified of, of the things that I was hearing around me in the hospital. Um, you know, people smashing light bulbs to cut themselves. I mean, just, just awful things. I just had no exposure to this before. And so when, uh, when I was telling my family this, I. Uh, I think they were, they were kind of shocked too, but they also were out of options. And so I imagine them feeling just frantic. Like, what do we do? We pull her out. She's going to die. We leave her in here. She's going to die. Right. Because I was just, I'd never been, I've never felt so alone in my life. Um, and I, I knew my family had put me there to get healthy, but I was not uh, in a, in a environment that I felt safe in. Um so my dad uh, actually busted me out of the hospital. Um, and this, Love that. yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely like a superhero move. Um, I still see him. I still like, I hear the music, right? Apparently, and I don't know all the details, mm. but apparently he had to get a lawyer involved because, you know, I was not in a good space and it was against hospital policy to, to let me out because I was not healthy enough to be out. Um, and my dad said, well, she's not healthy enough 
in here to, to stay. So there were some lawyers involved. He, he came kind of parading in and, and literally dragged me out. And I remember stopping at a subway, full endorsement subway. If you'd like to contact me, I'm here for you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I remember stopping at a subway and him saying, look, I need you. Like, I, I need you. I need you to eat. I need you to eat. And uh, I think I, I ordered a turkey sub and I took about three bites, but I remember it so distinctly because we're driving home through the New York kind of, and again, it's around Christmas time, the New York snow, the windows down, heat full blast, Christmas carol booming. And it just felt like a, a rebirth. It felt like new life because I, I knew that I was going to be okay. And again, it was trust in family, trust in self and, uh, and really just a, an ability to, to say, okay, this is, this is more than me. This is bigger than me. How do I move forward to make sure that my family feels safe and good and whole and that I'm, that I'm a part of that? It's funny as I'm telling these stories, I'm like, wow, this is, sounds like codependency, doesn't it? It's a, it's a lot of, it's a lot of very close on like this people pleasing codependency. How do we, how do we keep self balance in this, uh, in this space? But yeah, it's, um, it's kind of the story of my life is, is finding ways to burn cleaner. I love that. You're referring to yourself as a machine and how to burn cleaner. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, we, there's, everybody has these, these, moments in their life, these, these really bad things that happen to people. I mean, every single person as I'm sure you're finding out on these podcasts have multiple, like awful, tragic, you know, traumatic events in their lives. How do we, how do we burn it clean? How do we, how do we stop processing the anger? And I'm not saying Pollyanna is don't feel it, feel it 100%. And then how do you run that efficiently through your system so that you burn something that's clean? And that's been my, my happiness work is, is to say, okay, look, I can be really angry about the situation. I can be really pissed off at the world. I can look, can I shift? Can I, can I talk about something that I was really angry about? Yes, please. Yeah. So, uh, this is, this is part of the survival guide. So three years ago, three and a half years ago, uh, I walked into the office of a downtown Greenville lawyer who ended up sexually assaulting me. I, wow. Oh my God. And I'm a full grown adult. Like I know how to handle myself. I have, you know, karate lessons. I am a stress physiologist. I understand fight flight. I get it, but I'm a freezer. So I freeze all on freeze, go to the cops. I'm angry. I'm right. I'm just, I'm, this guy's going to get arrested. He needs to burn and blah. cops do nothing. Um, because he was a multimillion dollar donor to the cops. Oh my God. Mm. Right. Right. So I'm really angry right now. And I'm just like fuming and fuming and feeling all of the unworthiness coming back. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is bad. This is really, really bad. In the discovery for the, the lawyers, whatever, going back and forth, they asked me what I was wearing that day. So wait, you want to know how I chose my lawyer? Cause I, when I saw that, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Excuse me. But like, are you, so I told my lawyer, I was like, look, if this goes to court, just so you know, and you can you can go ahead and, you know, if you need to cut and run now, I get it. But if this goes to court, I am showing up to court in panties and a bra and nothing else. I love oh that. Oh my God. What was she wearing? I don't care what I showed up at. If I showed up like that, he still has no right to put his hands on Oh me. my God. Holy cow. And I felt like that was a, that was a break point for me, right? I could go one of two ways here. I could get super angry, hit rock bottom, just burn out because obviously nobody cares. Women just are nothing and cops can be bought. And I'm just, I'm, you know, or I can find some light in this. <laughs> I can burn it cleaner. Oh, So I decided because these things are public record to take my report and take his report that we had at the cops uh, and post them to Facebook. Uh, at which point. Uh, oh, I'm getting chills. <laughs> I know. Oh, and I, I want to go to Facebook and look this up right now. Oh, you should. It's it is pretty entertaining. It got um it got so much attention that the local press picked it up and ran a story on the front page of the paper. Wow. Which immediately got me served papers. <laughs> Why? It's public record. Papers for what? Both of those things are public record. Food for libel. Is it uh, uh, that doesn't make it. You weren't making anything up. The police said, you know, he said, uh, all right, that didn't make you angrier. So it did. Right. But this is, this is the survival guide, right? This is, you, we're talking about trauma and how to, 
So, so I was like, okay, all right, good. Okay. This is, this is good. I'm getting sued now. Fantastic. So now what that means is there's even more attention going on to this thing that is happening to women everywhere, everywhere, every single freaking day. So now great. I'm going to get sued. I'm going to counter sue him, but I'm going to counter sue him for $1 to make a really big stink of this because I'm not coming after your money, dude. I just want you to be labeled as the predator you are and to make sure nobody else ever gets hurt. <gasps> Thanks. Right. So, so being able to kind of take, take those really negative experiences, take that fuel, that fire, that hate, that anger, and just go, what great thing can come of this? He ended up dropping the suit, which was great. And again, made the front page of the paper for a couple months. Mission accomplished, right? Like I'm that's awesome. But for nothing, he never was arrested for this. Which does okay. does still burn a little bit there. That's 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 the that's the coal that I'm still working on. <laughs> I um, I yep. feel that. I feel yep. it for you too, or with you. Yeah. But you know, again, it gave me the stage to talk about freeze response, right? Because so many women do this and they go back and they blame themselves. They're like, oh, well, I shouldn't have, you know, he probably got the wrong idea because I didn't push him. I didn't punch him. I didn't, I'd have killed this guy. Like if I, if I had had a different response, if I had fought instead of frozen, I don't know that I would have stopped. Right. And then I would have had a much worse charge (laughs) than libel. Right. Right. And being able again to take that and say, okay, this is really frustrating. This is really angry. This is really demonic in some senses. And I have a platform. I'm super privileged. I get an opportunity to tell more women that it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. This is your physiology. You freeze. You can do nothing about it. Take a deep breath, forgive yourself first, and let's move forward. That is an awesome gift. I will say this. I am a freeze person. And it's it's interesting because I we've been in, like Alan and I were in a situation several years ago where something like emergent happened with one of the kids. We were all on vacation, a couple of families, and he jumped right in. And I sat there and I, cause I had to assess the situation and process it. And I'm like, I would be no good during an emergency. It It's not that I panic because I don't, but I freeze. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And I've frozen in certain situations where I've then regretted it. But it's interesting to hear you say, and it makes me feel maybe a smidge better, but that's my physiology. It's just, it's who I am. And I, can I work on this? Oh, shit. (laughs) Damn it. No. (laughs) Wow. The short answer is no. Yes, and. It's a yes, and. You can work on it, yes. And it takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of training to to, to change that. It's, this is an evolutionary response. If you think about this, especially um, as women, we tend to be smaller, right? We tend to be less fast. So especially in those, when we're in a less dominant position, the best strategy is to freeze and appease. And so we do this. We smile, we nod, and we're like, okay, yeah, whatever you need to do. And instead of fighting or trying to run away, because that's what kept us alive for 200,000 plus years. And today it is incredibly frustrating because we are cognitive of it. We have that situation. We experience the freeze response. And then we go back and we say, why didn't I punch the dude? Why didn't I run? Why didn't I get myself out of the situation? And the answer, ladies, is because you couldn't let it go because because your your body was protecting you. It may feel like it's betraying you, but it was protecting you. It was doing everything it could to protect you. And so, I would just like to say, to highlight, not just ladies, but men listening to this, but for all the people who have ever said, well, why didn't she just run away? And why didn't she, anytime that there's been an accusation, well, how, how come she didn't Fuck you. Oh, yes, Kara. <laughs> That's probably really loud. I just wanted to do a slow clap, but I couldn't contain my enthusiasm there. <laughs> okay. Because, yeah, I mean, it's, look, I'm a stress physiologist for God's sakes. Mm. I went home and I didn't know what happened. And in the middle of the night, I was like, oh, shit. Oh, I'm a freezer. Huh. Oh, oh, it all makes sense now. Huh. <laughs> Drop the mic. But we don't learn, even even in school, like we don't really learn about the freeze part. We learn about fight or flight. That's right. We don't learn. And it's fight, flight or freeze. And we don't learn about that freeze part. We we and we learn to either fight 
or run away. That's what we're taught because, and so it's crazy to know that that is just as a normal response as fighting or running Yeah, is freezing and you have no real control over how you're going to react. Yeah, exactly. And Patty, you hit on two things that I have to talk about because one, no, we're not taught about it because we weren't studied as women. We weren't studied in the lab. We didn't get studied in the stress response lab until the late nineties. So suddenly we're like, oh, there's a different response. Women respond differently. Interesting. So we literally weren't even looked at until the mid nineties, which seems like yesterday to me. I'm realizing I'm dating myself now. But the other thing is that you mentioned is that women are taught. Yes, we are taught. What are men taught? To dominate. Why aren't we teaching men? Like men actually have the ability to do something about this. Whether, and I'm not saying men, listen, I, I love you guys. I'm not saying you're all evil or bad people. I am saying that you have a biological wiring that makes you uh, believe that women are into you a lot more than they are. Right? <laughs> that biological <laughs> wiring. True story. 100% true because you're going up and you're like, hey, how you doing? Right. And, and you think because we, we are trained to smile at you, you're like, yes, sexual overperception biologically proven again and again and again. That's just true for men. Okay. So the problem is we're not training men to recognize the freeze and appease response because women are smiling back at them and they're going, sweet, she's into me. No, she's not. She's freaking terrified, right? right? She's absolutely terrified. And so if we're not teaching men, there was this other study that's like, what do you do to protect yourself from sexual assault? And they ask women this and they're listing off like, dozens of things, right? Oh, I carry my keys like this. I don't drink too much. I make sure I'm with friends. I do that. And we ask men, what do you do to make sure you're not the perpetrator of sexual assault? Uh... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Bob, exactly. Right. So, and again, just, just to be very clear, male listeners, look, it does happen to you. I hear you. I am not trying to write you off. This is an experience that happens to all genders. It just happens significantly more to women. So, you know, your pain is felt too. Thanks so much for sharing that, Rebecca. Like that was so great that you were able to share that and pivot it and turn that into some good energy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a privilege. You know, I think, I think that's the, that's the red thread that's kind of connected all these stories is, is the privilege is I feel, I feel like I have a, an incredible privilege and an obligation almost to, to share some of the wonderful things that, that have not always been wonderful but we can, we can weave a story around and, and create a great narrative. I really appreciate you saying that, talking about the sexual assault and being vulnerable with us. I, I have a question about that. Please. Did your itty bitty shitty committee try to convince you that you were somehow at fault? 1000%. Yeah. And every single time, you know, and, and look, that it wasn't the first time, right? That was the first time with that guy. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the first time, every single time. And I, unfortunately, women, this is statistically probable for us to happen. It's not, it's not like unlikely. It is likely that it happens to you, more likely that it happens to you than it doesn't. And the voices immediately come on in my head like, oh, you were leading them on. No, I wasn't. Well, you shouldn't have smiled. Excuse me, I'm allowed to smile, right? And, and all of those voices, of course they came on. Absolutely they came on. And I really had to negotiate with myself. I had, I luckily I was living with my very best friend at the time and I was telling her everything and processing it out loud really helped because she, you know, I can, I can deny those voices all I want. Oh no, you're probably, but the second I said it out loud, it became very tangible. And she's like, oh, that's bullshit. That is absolute. Do not say that again. You are not responsible for this. And I was like, yeah, that's right. That's exactly what I would tell somebody else if they were telling me the story. So why don't I tell that to myself? Oh. That's awesome. And another one follow up question. You said that it took you like you're a processor. You froze. Right. But it took you until later that day or that evening to realize really to realize what had happened. Yeah. So, I mean, I got in my car and I knew what had happened. I was I was crying. I was shaking. I was Uh driving home in my car. But once I got home and into the safety and I recounted to, to my best girlfriend what had happened, she's like, you need to go to the police. And I was like, what? Well, why? She's like, because you were just sexually assaulted. And I was like, oh, I was. Yeah. I, oh, oh my gosh, I was. And so, it, you know, we can, we can, 
I think process pieces of it, but it takes, especially with trauma, it takes our brain some time to catch up to the point where, where it's like, oh, you should do something about this. Not just this happened to you. Yep. This happened to you. That's factual, 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 factual. Now do something about it. And I think that's, that's the ancient part of our brain um, processing the facts. And it takes some time for this like newer part of the brain to say, yeah, and you get to do something about that now. So go on, go on. And that's a, that's a scary, scary process. And I'll, I'll just share with you all that, you know, for me, I, I wasn't raped. And if I had been, I can't imagine the level of difficulty that it would have been to, to report it because I went in and I was again with my very best girlfriend holding my hand, having to recount the tale to the first officer. Then the second officer came in, had to recount the tale to him, two males, then had to write it all down in my report and then had to repeat it again to a third officer. And that's the first bit of it, right? Then you could call it in again and you have to recount it again. And it is this relived trauma again and again and again. And, and again, I, I felt lucky that it could have been a lot worse and it was really painful and really scary. And I was frankly terrified because this guy has a lot of money and a lot of power. And at some point I was like, this could, this could turn bad. This could really turn bad quickly. Beck, what are you, what are you doing? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for all of that information. I think it's important for what we're doing here on the Be Brave podcast for people to hear that because again, you don't, we don't talk about the freeze and then the processing afterwards and Hopefully this is going to be helpful for somebody else who has gone through it or may unfortunately go through it after they've listened to this, but they can kind of come back to this and say, okay, it's it's not over. It doesn't have to be over. And hopefully they can try, f- find a trusted person to speak with about it, to really just help them process, which it sounds like you had in your, your girlfriend, your best friend. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just say to your listeners, if, if, you, if you've gone through this, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Like I will sit there and listen to you. This is, uh, oh man, you guys are gonna make me cry. This is, uh, this is one of the more important things that I think I have done in my life is to give some voice to the freeze response and just remind people that it is not your fault. It is not your fault. It is not your fault. And just be able to, to sit with that physiology and realize that, uh, that it's just your body trying to protect you. And, um, yeah, <laughs> I'll shut up there. Rebecca, you, you've done some really amazing TEDx talks. Really amazing. You're great on video. And I saw your TEDx talk where you spoke about the freeze response and, you know, what happened. I didn't know your story, like I just heard it. Oh, yeah. But, but um, how can people find that so they can look at it and listen to it? And I love that you said three to five times, it's not your fault. If you froze, it's not your fault. If I could say it a million times, I would. Thank you. I should probably have a prepared way to to reach that TED talk. I, if you go to my YouTube channel, I, it's just the channel is Dr. Rebecca Heiss. It'll be on there and, and search for uh, TEDx Rebecca Heiss freeze response or sexual assault. It'll it'll come up or just reach out to me and I'll, I'll point you in the right direction. <laughs> Sorry. There's a Psychology Today article that I wrote too, I think called Grit and Barrett. Um, so if you don't want to watch, uh, but you want the same science behind it, you can you can find that too. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to let everybody know how to get in touch with you. We'll wrap wrap this up. But I want to definitely ask you, like, what one, what was your favorite book as a child? Like, what was your favorite book as a kid? Oh, man, uh, probably Watership Down. Watership Down, uh, because it was just such a immersive world of rabbits. <laughs> Is that right? Is that I, I've never heard of it. <laughs> I don't know why that book stuck onto me. That one and uh, and the search for delicious. This one fascinated me. I don't. I man, I'll have to look this up because it has been. I can't tell you how many years, but the search for delicious was all about a king that sent this person out in search of um, how to define delicious. And he searched all the lands and tried all the foods and. Finally, the, you know, wandered through the desert for umpteen years and finally somebody handed him a glass of water on a hot day. He said, ah, so I just spoiled the book for everybody. You did. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> that, that's like the summary of my life though. That's like the search for happy, right? It's, it's right here. It's right here. It's very simple. It's right there. <laughs> search for Delicious. Yeah. So, so Rebecca, good. we're running out of time for this 
podcast. And we really appreciate you being here and being vulnerable and sharing your story with us. But there are some other things we'd love to talk about, like your fearless accelerator and your year of happy that you just started. Would, would you be interested Woo-hoo. in doing a part two with us, probably? Ah, yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's do it. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we could have you come back and be like an expert, like in, in some of these nuggets you've given us today, like just really expand on your research and what you've learned through it. and. That would be amazing. As long as you don't call me an expert again, Patty, I'll be on the show tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, you're non-expert, so you're perfectly you're imperfect. So oh, perfect. <laughs> I love it. There you go. There you go. Awesome. awesome. I'd be I just, delighted. I just have I'd one final question for you. Well, I have one final question, and I don't know about Patty, but I would like to know if you can go back and talk to that 11-year-old girl who, yep who was suffering with the, with the itty bitty shitty committee and telling her not to eat because she's not going to be look perfect. If she eats, what would you say to her? That's a great question. Yeah. You know, a million things are coming up right now. Like you're already enough. You're worthy. Kind of all the positive affirmations that I think you hear about a lot. I honestly think I just hug her. (laughs) I just, that there's something about just the physical contact to say, it all works out. It all works out. Yeah. I think, I think, um, mm, I know. And you're bringing tears to my eyes. I think that's, I think that's beautiful. Just give her a hug. Yeah. I think just, just give her a hug and, and tell awesome. her to trust herself. That's pretty much it. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, all Rebecca. right. So getting in touch Thank with you. Dr. Rebecca Heiss is on all the, so- she's on all the social media platforms <laughs> at all the Dr. Rebecca Heiss and it's D-R for doctor. Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A, and Heiss is H-E-I-S-S. And it's also, she has a website, RebeccaHeiss.com. Yay. Thank you guys so much. I, I hope that your listeners will reach out. I'm, I'm completely serious. Uh, if you need somebody to talk to, I'm here. And I'm just so grateful that you guys are doing this podcast because it is so important to, to have the playbook to, to be brave by. Thank you so much for joining us. Looking forward to round two. See you soon, guys. Thank you. We hope this podcast has inspired and empowered you to overcome what might be holding you back from living your best life. If you love this podcast, please share it with a woman you know who needs a little empowerment. Now go out in the world and be bold, be brave, be you. Perfectly imperfect you. With love, Kara and Patty. But I wonder what would happen if you say what you want to say. Um, swearing or no swearing on this podcast. Whatever. Mixed and edited by Desmond McNeese for We Mixed It, LLC. Go to whatsoundsawesome.com.